0: Right? So this is the part where I give you theology, kids. Right, So right? it's going to get nerdy a little bit, but hold on. Right? So we're going to get there. So before I talk about specific duties that women are called to perform in the context of their homes, let's first talk about what Paul is asking Titus to do. Right? So in verse 1 of today's chapter, Paul tells Titus and all the pastors thereafter him, he calls Titus and all the pastors to teach the church people sound doctrine. He says, Titus and all the pastors thereafter, our chief calling is to teach people sound doctrine. What is doctrine? It is a system of thoughts and principles that are based on scripture. I am called to to teach you sound doctrine so that your lives will conform to the doctrine. Once again, let me tell you, the reason why pastors are called to teach their members sound doctrine is so that the members will conform their lives to the doctrine. I sound like a broken record, but you need to understand once again what Christianity is, is understanding that there is immutable, unchanging, immutable, unchanging, the same word, immutable, unchanging, eternal, foundational truths that are outside of our immediate experience. Like the laws of physics and mathematics and logic, the laws of, you know, protons and electrons and, you know, all the different atom, atomic particles, as these laws govern the structure of reality, similar to these logical and mathematic and physical laws, that governs reality. There are metaphysical, spiritual laws that govern a human being. Whether you believe whether you believe gravity or not, gravity governs governs our reality. Whether you know mathematical theorems or not, those mathematical theorems are the ways in which reality is structured together. Whether you believe them or not, they're just true. Similarly, whether you agree with it or not, whether you adhere to it or not, these metaphysical spiritual realities exist because God made them so. When you conform your life according to these metaphysical reality called God's law, you will live and you will thrive but if you live counter to these metaphysical laws that God has given, then in your, lo- your lives, you experience spiritual death in this world. Let's come down. Are we clear? Are we clear, everyone? That's why Paul is telling Titus to teach his people doctrine so that their lives will conform to God's law. Now, what is interesting about these five verses, is these five verses, Paul addresses three different people, three different sets of people. He addresses the older men, the older women, and the younger women. Right? So he addresses men, and then if you further go down, he addresses younger men too. So, in Titus chapter 2, there is older men, younger men, older women, younger women. He addresses each of, them, each of them separately. But if you divide, if, if you combine these categories in a more uniform way, he divides the teaching between men and women. Paul divides, not just here, but all throughout his letters, Paul has separate instructions for men. And for women. you understand? In 1 Timothy chapter 2, for example, Paul tells men to man up and pray for the church. He tells the women to dress modestly and learn. There is a segregated lesson that Paul addresses to each different according to gender. Why does Paul do this? Why does Paul Divide his teachings into two separate genders. And if you're recording this, and this is what I'm gonna fire for, hi HR, hi Cindy from HR. What we believe in, according to the Bible, the way God structured reality is that He structured reality in human beings, not just human beings, animals as well. He structured living organisms. Not animals, living animals, according to two genders. There's only two genders. And that gender is male and female. Oh my gosh, I'm gonna get fired in Pride Month. It's okay. You guys should take care of me, right? The metaphysical structure, according to the Bible, is that there are two genders there's men, male, and female. There's the masculine, and there's the feminine. They are distinct. And yet, humanity does not make sense unless you combine them. Genesis chapter, what, what is, it? is it Genesis chapter 1? God created mankind, which encompasses men and female, God created mankind in His own image. In the image of God, He created them, male and female. He created them. Genesis chapter one, verse twenty-seven says, "Humanity is divided into male and female, masculine and feminine. Both the male is made in the image of God, and and the female is also made in the image of God." The male are made in the image of God. The female are made in the image of God. Both in, both in them have the image of God. Men, by their nature, have what you call the masculine aspect of God. And females have what you call the feminine aspect of God. This sermon is not pro-gender Okay so okay once again let me be clear masculine nature reflects the masculine aspect of god and the feminine nature also reflects the feminine aspect of god god does not have a gender he has attributes he has aspects The men reflect what we call the masculine attributes of God, and the females reflect what you call the feminine attributes of God. Both are the image of God. I'm looking at Pastor Eugene. Pastor Eugene's not scribbling. Okay, this is good, right? We tend to think think of God and God as primarily a masculine figure, It is true God uses the male pronoun in scriptures, right? Father, son, and always father and son. But this doesn't mean that God doesn't have a feminine attribute to himself. Both male and female are created in the different attributes of the image of God. Are we clear so far? Yeah? Yeah? All right, so far, so good. No controversies. Let's talk about the male attributes. What is the masculine attribute of God that he created man in accordance to that image? The best that we can guess is from Genesis chapter 1, chapter 1, 2, and 3, where God commands Adam to, 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 for a particular role. What did God command Adam to do? He commanded Adam to to keep, he he called Adam to work the land and keep the land. He has called Adam to work the garden and keep the garden and label the various animals in the garden. What this attribute suggests is the masculine attribute of, of, of God and man is that men the primary nature is to look outward and work he is called to he is called to look at creation and work really hard on it to study creation to work creation right to protect creation and to provide for creation god is the one who sustains the world through his might. God creates, God sustains, God expands creation. That's what God does. And men, because we're made in this image, are also called to work the land, to keep the land, and to provide for creation. That is why, if you look at The curse that Adam, that God gives Adam after the fall. God says, Adam, because of your sins, from now on, your work will be horrible. The land that you toil will be be very hard to manage. Men, the reason why your work is so hard, it is because of the fall. But that curse that God gave Adam is related to Adam's nature, Right? Man's nature is to look outside and work the land, keep the land, provide for the land, and provide for creation, and provide for his family. But the curse is that nature will become very difficult to live out. That's the curse. Are you with me? Women, the feminine aspect of God, is a relational one. Women were created to be man's helper. Helper is not you in a maid outfit giving your husband a piece of sandwich every time he asks for. It. That's not what a helper is. Helper is not your cleaning lady. The word helper here means support, wise counselor, right? But also, but also helper also means someone who who serves ahead. We're going to get into all submission later on during the sermon, but at this particular point of the sermon, what you need to understand is the feminine attribute, the feminine attribute that's made in the image of God is, is primarily relational. Women are called to have relationship with their husbands. Women are called to have relationship with their kids. Women are called to have relationship with creation. Women are relational. And that's the feminine aspect of God because God himself is relational. God sends his Holy Spirit to live with us, to have a relationship with us. God just doesn't say, do this and leave us alone. God gives us the Holy Spirit to have relationship with us. That's the feminine attribute of God. To have relations with creation. Women are called to have this women's nature is based on relationship. Men is called to look outward, work the land, provide for the land, provide for his family. Women are called to have relational relations. That's why if you look at the curse of Eve, what is the curse of the woman? Your childbearing will be difficult and hard, right? High expectant mothers. But also, it says you will desire your husband, the word desire here means control. You will want to desire to control your husbands. But guess what? He will rule over you, which means male will erect patriarchy to dominate women, which means See see what's happening? Women are called to have relational, primarily relation with creation, but because of our sins, that relational aspect in creation is falling apart. Are you with me? Anecdotal evidence, example, but it's true. Look, we have the female Conference, we had the female conference and we had the male conference, right? We were thinking, what is the theme of the male conference? What are the, so there are different themes to these conferences. We were thinking, what are the things that we want to talk about during the female conference? And you know what the number one thing was? Relationships. How do we have better relationships? Sisters wanted to know, how do we have better relationships? Because in their lives, they're, they're having suffering. Their relationships are having they're, they're suffering because their relationships are broken. You know what the theme of male conferences? To do better. To be a better husband. To be a better provider. To do, we're giving them this is what you need to do. You need to go out and do it. That's what we're going to tell the men to do, men to do. And men respond to this. Women, relationships, you can call me a sexist. You can call me a dinosaur for thinking this way. But reality conforms to this nature, this basic nature of masculinity and femininity. How do you know? If you look at the jobs that the men and women get into, Overwhelmingly, majority of men go into jobs that deal with things. Engineering, forestry, right? Hi, Sean Stark. Engineering, forestry, right? Um, um, And and, and cops, mechanics, like things. Men are interested, men gravitate more towards those professions. Women gravitate towards professions that deal with people, nursing, nursing, teaching, counseling. And you will say, well, that's because because of the gender construct. That's because society has enforced women to go in a certain way. Really? OK, example is the Scandinavian countries. The Scandinavian countries, Norway, Denmark, you know, all those countries that you know, Bernie Sanders really loves. You know, those, so, those Scandinavian countries are the most progressive countries in the world. For the last 60 years, they got rid of gender roles. They let their boys and girls be whatever they want. 60 years of that. You know what's the gender distribution of professions in the Scandinavian countries? Same thing. Men go to the profession that deals with things. Women go to deal with profession that deals with people. Even the most progressive nation in the world, if you let people choose their profession, they always go to these professions that their nature is based on. Do You understand? There is a distinction between men and women. You may say, well, well, I'm a girl and inter- I'm interested in things and cars and sports. Great. Right? I'm a guy. I like flowers and you know, you know, like having girl talk and whatnot. Sure, there are obviously different levels within the, the genders. But the baseline, males tend to look at the world outside of them. And want to go out and do and conquer. Women are more interested in the relational. Both are both are the images of God. Because God does both, right? He maintains, creates nature, and he has a relationship with us. You can't, therefore, say the masculine is better than the feminine. You can't say that. Because they're both attributes of God. The culture says, feminine is, being feminine is weak. That's what they say, right? Girls, young girls, you can do whatever you want. Go girl power. As a father of a daughter, yeah, I tell my daughter, daughter, do whatever you want. Baby, what do you want to do? She said, I want to be, be a paralegal. Paralegal? I go, Why not a lawyer? She says, oh, you, you work too much. I don't want, I don't, I don't want the hours. <laughs> <laughs> but even when you raise a son, I have, I have a son and a daughter. The way that I raise them, it's two completely different experiences. They are. I deal with my daughter's relational things. She, she has a relational drama far more than my son ever had. My son wants purpose and meaning. My daughter wants to get along with her friends. You see it everywhere. There is a best nature that you and I are, The men and women are, are, are created in different aspects of attributes of God. I can give you a long list of all the Bible verses that describes God's female nature. For ex- I'll just give you one for the sake of time. Like, according to Isaiah chapter 66, verse 13, God comforts his people like a mother comforts her child. Isaiah 49, verse 15, like a woman will never forget her nursing child, God will not forget his children. Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 11, God is like a mother eagle hovering over her young. So all these, and there are many more verses like this that compares the, the God's love like the love of a mother. So I'm not making these things up. Both the masculine and the feminine are both made in the image of God. Mankind does not make sense apart. You need both to combine to make humanity work. Look, I was in the Korean army for two two years and two months. For two years and two months, majority, I only saw dudes. And that was a very coarse, harsh life. There's no beauty. There's just dude being mean and sarcastic to each other. Women makes the world a lovely, loving place. There's no motherly comfort in the army. There's only performance. And that place is horrible. That's why when we first got out of the base, the first female that we saw was a grandmother. All of us were in love with that woman. Look, female. We need both attributes to make humanity work. This is what I'm getting fired for. Once again, hi Cindy. That's why, in the context of scripture, gay marriage is not compatible with God's design. Because marriage is the masculine and the feminine, two different attributes of God coming together to make life. That's what the biblical definition of marriage is. Understand? If your definition of marriage is, I want to be happy to be with the person that I love, if that's your definition of marriage, gender really doesn't matter. If you have that base level understanding of what marriage is, it's for my happiness, then man, you know, yeah, go, go at it. But if you have a godly perspective of marriage, which is the masculine and feminine, two distinct people in the main and the coming together to make life then only a male and female union is the, is the God-reflecting union. Are you with me so far? None of you are offended. Okay, so that's the theology part. Now let's talk to the women. Now let's, now let's, let's go. Let's go. So women, today's primarily about women. Women, your call, God-ordained call for your life, is to imitate God in his feminine aspect and love your husband like that. Look, because of time and because we want to focus on women, we're not going to talk about Paul's instructions about older men, how they should be respectable and whatnot. Small group leaders, that's all you, right? But let's specifically talk about what Paul is talking about women. He says, first, older women... Right? He first addresses older women. Who are the older women that he's addressing? Older women are the mature women in the church. Definition of older women are people who are no longer rearing children. If you are a younger woman, if, if you are still rearing children, guess what? You are a young woman. Everyone, young woman here. Okay? Regardless of when you're your 40s or 30s or 40s, even 50s, if you're rearing children, you're a young woman. <laughs> Right an older woman is someone who is done rearing their kids are gone and married and you're done. those older women, he says, Paul says, have to be self-controlled, have to be don't drink too much wine, right but most importantly, these old women have to train their younger women. These older women are the older women in the church like the you know, like the widow squad that we talked about a couple of weeks ago. They are, the true, they are the servants of the church. They go out and they minister to the needs of the different families of the church. They, you know, they house different preachers who come into town to preach. They, they show them hospitality. And they also go out to the marketplace. Why? Because during the Greco-Roman Empire, when, when, people, when, when young people don't want their kids, like give birth and don't want their babies, Rather than aborting them, because there's no abortion back then, they deliver their kids, but if they don't want it, they just leave it out to the marketplace. So these kids, there's babies like in, in the streets. The government will come and take the boys and raise them as soldiers. The not-so-nice people will come, take the take the young girl, take the baby girl babies, and either make them female slaves. At worst, or worse, they'll make these female babies into male service workers, if you don't want to mean. So So these women were going onto the market, rescuing these babies and raising them in the church. These women are great. But a thing that one of the things that God that Paul tells these older women to do is to train the young women. The young woman here is anyone who's rearing children, He is telling these older women, to teach young teach younger women, which is all of you. Number one, to teach them how to love their husbands, to teach them how to love your kids, to teach them how to be self-controlled, to teach them to tell the young woman to work at the home, oh my goodness, and to teach these young women how to be submissive to their husbands. So these women, older women are going to go to the young women and teach young, these young women how to love their husbands how to love their kids, how to be submissive to their husbands, how to work in their homes, how to be pure, how to be self-controlled. What is the underlying assumption here? The underlying assumption here is women who are raising children, they don't know really completely how to love their husbands in a godly way. And they don't really know how to raise their kids in a godly way. And they really don't know how to manage their household in a godly way. And they don't really know how to be submissive to their husband. These things need to be taught. My dear sisters, if I were to ask you, are you a loving person, most of you say will say yes, and I have no doubt that you are. You are absolutely lovely. But if you think you have the innate natural ability to love your husband and love your children and submit to your husband on your own strength, the Bible disagrees with you. You don't have the natural innate ability to love your husband. Let's talk about loving your husband. You need to be taught and learned and trained how to love your husband. You may think that you love your husband, but you still need more learning and teaching of how to do so. Because love is more than how you feel about your husband. Love is also how to actively show your love to your husband. This is, when I'm talking about this, I'm not talking about anyone in particular in mind. so please don't think that I'm talking about you. But what I see often, not just here, but everywhere, women, often I see women have a certain, they put their husband in a certain identity box. My husband, they put their husband in an identity box. My husband is a provider, or my husband is someone who's supposed to make me happy, or my husband is, I don't know, a disappointment, or my husband is someone who will never change. We have a tendency to put our husbands in a particular box. And that's all how you see your husband. It's not just you, but that's the nature of what sin is. Sin is more than committing a certain act, transgressing acts. Sin is more than that. Sin is our nature to mistreat another human being. When God looks at a human being, he has has the highest regard for a human being. Because every human being is made in his image, every human being are masterpieces in the sight of God. They are the most invaluable organisms in the universe. Let's say you buy a Ferrari. Let's say you buy a $250,000 Ferrari you're going to protect that ferrari and keep that ferrari maintain that ferrari give it the best gas for that ferrari right you're going to treasure it it's so valuable to you that is not that is small in comparison to how god considers a human being but what do we do what is our nature our nature is When we look at a human being, we don't consider them, we don't regard them very highly. When we look at a human being, our our nature is, if the human being is useful to us, we kind of are nice and loving towards a human being. But if they cause any annoyance, any annoyance, including eating half your 순댓국, right? then you have no trouble condemning and hating. God regards a human being as such a high, high creation. But when that human being goes a little bit slow in front of you, in traffic, you have the most vile thing to think about that human being. You have no problem slandering, character assassinating a human being. You have no problem using another human being for your pleasure. You have no problem judging a human being in accordance to your limited standards. That's the nature of sin, and that's the nature that you and I have, and that's the nature that wives have in regards to their husbands. When you look at your husband, when you live long enough for them, guys, by the way, single guys, I'm not dissuading you from getting married. is great. You should all get married. Happy Father's Day, everyone. But when you live with someone long enough, their humanity becomes invisible to you. You just put them in a box. He just exists to make me happy. He exists to do what me, to, to, to make me feel special. He exists to provide for my family. That's all he is. No, ladies, he is a human being. Your husband is a human being. And your husband, You know what your husband is? I tell you. Your husband is like a battery in the matrix. People are just using your husband in the place of work, right? especially if your husband is Asian, which, hi, Sean. Most of you are. Right? You're that Asian dude who's only beneficial for that company as long as they can get money out of you. Look, I'm one of the senior associates of a, of a major law firm, and I have no delusions about my position. Even though I can generate million dollars, millions of revenue from my firm, as soon as I'm a little bit expensive to them, they're going to cut me. Hi, Cindy from HR. But that's true. Your husband, in society, is a disposable asset. Everyone is using men. Who is going to love your husband in this world? You're supposed to. Your husband is a human being who needs your kindness and compassion. And your love and your respect. That's God's highest call for you, sisters. To love your husband. But I often find women, sisters, rather than loving their husband, they either put their husbands in a box, or if they discover their husband's weakness, they just nag that weakness. You're this way, you're that way, you're this way, you're that way. You just nag, nag, nag. A guy who's a disposable battery in the world, he comes home, and what waits him? Another human being just points out his fault and makes him feel really bad about it. How wicked is that? I only nag because I love him. Ladies, I'm here to tell you, there's no man in the history of humanity that says, I'm a better person because my wife nagged me. I'm a better person because my wife pointed out my faults, and I go, wow, you're right. Thank you, wife, for making me, uh, making me feel really bad about my weakness. Because of you, I am I'm a new man, wife. No one ever has done that, ever. lady." You will see your husband's weakness. You, you're the front seat. You have the clearest view of your husband's weakness. What are you supposed to do with it? You're supposed to love him through it. Not weaponize him, not dismiss him. But you need to put on Christ. You need to put on compassion. Compassion. You need to put on kindness and forgiveness. You need to bear his burdens. You need to help him find his way. That's what you will be remembered for, ladies. You will not be remembered for this amazing career that you have, although it's kind of important, I I suppose. But there's nothing relatively more important than that, of how you loved your husband. God's not going to be impressed with you because your kid made it to Harvard. God's going to say, wow, you raised your kid to be a world-famous violinist? Your kid got into Harvard? Your kid's a doctor? I guess. Wow. Good job. Welcome to my kingdom. It doesn't work that way. He will ask you, have you been compassionate and gracious and loving to your husband? Ladies, that ability does not You don't don't have it within you. None of us have it within us. That is why we need to learn. And the primary source of learning is, is God himself. Look, every morning my prayer is, teach me how to love my wife and my children. That's my prayer. And that's my consistent prayer every day. And you know what? He really listens to my prayers and he gives me insights and wisdom and patience. If it were up to me, I would just be preaching to my family 24 7. But he doesn't let me do that. He gives me patience and insights. And ladies, I'm here to tell you when you ask God regularly every day, give me the wisdom to love my husband and not hate him or not weaponize his weakness if that's your lifetime prayer daily, he will give it to you. He will give it to you. Why wouldn't he give it to you? Because that's his will for you. Right? Let's stop praying for your kids to get into Harvard. And let's let's start praying more for how to better love your husband. Second thing, let's talk about submission. There are all these verses, but because of time, let me just focus on submission. Older women should teach younger women how to submit to their husbands. The word submission is a dirty word because, number one, it's countercultural, right? Culture says, You don't submit to no man. Our culture Values leadership, independence, accomplishment, you girl, girl girlness. Our culture loads submission, dependence, deference. You're raised in this culture that hates submission. Not only that, your sinful nature. Does not, do not want to submit to your husband. Back to Genesis chapter 3. God's curse to Eve is your desire will be for your husband, which I means the word desire means to control. Because of your fall, your desire will be put your husband under you. You will want to dominate your husband, woman. That's your curse. But he will rule over you. He's not going to do what you want him to do. Your natural fallen curse is that you don't want to respect your husband. You want to to put him under your control. You want to demean him. You don't want to respect him. That's why, ladies, it is so almost impossible for you to submit to your husband. What's the word submission means? It means counselor. It means supporter. But it also means giving leadership deference to your husband. That's what it means. Let's not sugarcoat it it means you following your husband's leadership that's what it means the word submission and you must learn how to do it how do you do it you need a so self-controlled sober mind that's why Paul says to teach older women should teach younger women self-control the word self-control means sober mind the word sober mind means having God's perspective over your life. The only way that you could be willing to submit to your husband is to have God's perspective about things. Because your natural perspective is, you don't want to respect your husband, you don't want to listen to your husband, that's your natural disposition. But the godly disposition is submission. You need to think of your life in terms of these godly standards and perspective. Guys, submission is not a dirty word. We are saved. You know why we're saved? You know how we're saved? We're saved because Jesus Christ submitted to the will of the Father. That's one of the main themes of the Gospel of John. Jesus came here not only because he loves you, but primarily Jesus came here to be be a servant, to die on the cross, to submit to the will of the Father. We are saved because Christ submitted himself. Christ is sitting at the right hand of God, which means Christ rules every inch of the universe. And he has the authority through every inch of the universe because he submitted and obeyed to the will of the Father. Christianity is a religion of submission and following. It is not a submission of leading. That's not what it is. Look, what did Jesus say? Who is the greatest in the kingdom of God? The servants are. Not the leaders. The servants are the are the greatest in the kingdom of God. The servants, though those who submit to God's will, they're the greatest in the kingdom of God. Submission is not a dirty word. Submission is a nature of God. Submission is the reason for our salvation. Submission is God's calling for every single human being. Ladies, don't let culture make submission a dirty word. What does submission look like? Submission doesn't mean doing whatever your husband says. That's not submission. Submission means giving your husband advice because sometimes your husband doesn't know what to do. So give him advice. Give him counsel. Discuss things of the matter of the family with him. If it need be, have heated arguments with him if it need be. But when the decision comes, God's will for you is to submit to your husband. Because God will lead your family as you submit to your husband. Guys, God leads us as we submit to him. Do you know this? The way God leads the church, right? our church, and the way that God leads my family is that I submit to the will of God. Right? I want to go see the flash, but I'm not going to. I'm going to spend time with my family and teach my kids the Bible. Bible study tonight, son. Right? I submit to God, and he leads my family. Likewise, he leads your family as you submit to your husband. Do you want God to visibly lead your family? Submit to your husbands. Once again, discuss with him, give him advice, give him counsel. If it need be, fight. But at the end, submit if it need be. Because that's how God leads your family. Look, we're living under the illusion of democracy. Democracy is illusion. Like everyone coming together, giving each other ideas, everyone having a meeting, and agreed. Okay, we agree. Let's move together. That sounds good in theory, but that's not how reality works. When a group of people, more than two people, come together, in order for the organization to move forward, you need a leader. You need to find a decision maker. You do. That's just the nature of moving forward. If you choose not to do life together, you'll say, you do you and I'll do me. And there are married people like that. No one needs to be submitted. You do you, I do me, right? I don't have to submit to anyone because I'm my own person. If that's your marriage, then you know submission like, isn't really necessary. But that's not what God called you to be. God called you to meet God called you to move together as one body, and in order to do so, you need a leader. That's just the reality of it. That leader, through your counsel and love and advice, my dear sisters, has to be your husband. It doesn't come naturally, do you? I know it's hard for you. I know you see your husband's faults. I know. But God's will is plain and clear. That's his calling and will for you. Are you going to do it? Let's pray.